Mm. I'm seeing 22 to 36. I might need to grab my Bible. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. My name is Tim. If you're a visitor here, a warm welcome to the lakes. It's great to have you here. And here we are on the cusp of a new year. 2020 is about to arrive, not only a new year, but it will be the start of a decade. So one wonders what kind of fashion will come back in the next 10 years, style of music, it will all go around. So are you ready for 2020? Are you ready for another decade? I hope all of us last the next decade. But um, I was in a conversation with some people uh, around about my age, about a week ago, and one of them said, what do you do to avoid becoming grumpy? So, and I think it's a, it's a legitimate question. Uh, how do you be, no, it was phrased like this, how do you avoid becoming a grumpy old man? And it's a legitimate question, isn't it? Because, you know, do you know a lot of grumpy old people, men and women? Yeah. I do. I find that most of the older people here have a lot of joy, but in general, most people that I bump into in society are very, very grumpy. Grump grumpiness is, I take it, when you've got to the end of a life of discontent. So you've been young for a while and you've been hit by life's letdowns, but you sort of bounce back again, you have another crack at it. But then after a time, you get to this period of life where you realise that life is just one big letdown. And so you're discontent, you're not satisfied, nothing's worked, and so you just become grumpy. I've heard it said that the difference between a, a young person and an old person is, well, the young person is really just a not yet grumpy person. 
because they keep thinking, well, happiness, joy, satisfaction, it's out there. And even if they get hit by life circumstances, they go, it's still out there. But the grumpy person says, it's not out there. It doesn't exist. There is no joy. There is no contentment. So today we're going to look at a passage from the Bible that shows that joy does exist. Joy does exist. We're going to step through two things. The first is that joy does exist. It is available. And surprisingly, it is this emotion, this feeling of satisfaction that you get from being saved. So we're going to look at where you actually get joy from. Not life. Not life as we know it, because that's one big letdown. So joy is the emotion of salvation. And then we'll have a, this is the second step, we'll have a look at um, what you might be feeling. Do you feel you know, more or less joyful overall in your life or grumpy? Because what you feel, more joy or more grumpiness, suggests a lot about where your relationship might be at with God. So that's what we're going to look at in our series, Jesus Brings, and today, Jesus Brings Complete Joy. So come with me to John chapter 3, the end of that. That's in your outlines. Um, so looking at the first thing, that joy, joy does exist and it comes from God in his act of salvation. The passage we read shows that Jesus and his disciples are in a location baptising. You'll see that at the start of verse 22. And then John the Baptist, another character, has a group of disciples and they have been baptising as well. And it seems like there's a bit of envy and rivalry that has emerged between these two disciple groups. And one disciple is worried that the other group is baptising and that maybe they'll get a following and popularity will go their way. And to that, John replies in verse 27 down to verse 38. And with John the Baptist's reply, he says that he knows who Jesus is, where Jesus is from, and what Jesus is on about. So let's have a look at that, verse 27. To this, so this is to the disciples saying, look, everyone's baptizing and sorry Jesus is Jesus's group is baptizing and everyone is going to him in verse 26 John the Baptist replies a person can receive only what is given them from heaven you yourselves testify that I said I am not the Messiah but am sent ahead of him John the Baptist knows who Jesus is John the Baptist isn't the Messiah Jesus is the Messiah and John the Baptist's role is to be the person sent ahead of him. He goes on in verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John the Baptist understands that Jesus is the Messiah, but also where he is from. He uses this imagery of a bride and a bridegroom coming and he's been this you could say best man he's the a best man he's standing on the sidelines his his job is to shine the spotlight on the bridegroom when he comes and make sure that the bridegroom and the bride get connected together 
And when that happens, he is full of joy. When he uses this imagery of a bride and a bridegroom, he's really drawing on a, 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 any Jew would know this imagery. God constantly through his scriptures speaks of his relationship with his people as one of a bridegroom, God, the bridegroom, to his people, the bride. Unfortunately, most of the story in the Bible of God's people in relationship with God shows that this bride is adulterous, keeps rejecting God, keeps going off with other gods and other religions. But God always promises to his people that that he is a faithful bridegroom, a faithful husband, and that he will come running after his bride, even if they are adulterous. So here's a famous passage from Hosea 2 in the Old Testament. Uh, It just echoes the many promises of God where he describes himself as a husband coming to his bride. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. So many of these passages are beautiful. They describe this amazing husband, this amazing bridegroom who will pursue his bride no matter what she has done, pursue her in order to restore the relationship. So John the Baptist isn't just plucking any old kind of metaphor from the air when he talks about the fact that he is not the bridegroom. He's the best man. He's the one that stands on the side, shining the spotlight on the bridegroom. When he turns up, he is excited to see the bridegroom turn up. So he, obviously, in looking at Jesus, he's talking about Jesus on the scene, using all these passages that talk about God as a bridegroom coming to his people, John the Baptist, in this moment, is saying publicly that in the human being Jesus is somehow God, the bridegroom, coming for his people. So he knows that Jesus, who he is, he's the Messiah, and where he's from. He's from God. Somehow he is from God in this act that God had always promised to rescue his people. And he knows what Jesus is going to do. Because all of these passages talk about God coming to his people in order to save them. To save them from their sin. To save them from their world, which is full of brokenness and corruption. So in verse 29, you see John the Baptist as the best man. He's, he's been waiting and listening. He's been hoping, looking out for when God turns up as the bridegroom. And when he does, he is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And he says, that joy is mine and it is now complete. We see that joy for John the Baptist comes from being saved. He has been waiting along with so many people to be saved and the, um, that pleasurable emotion, and he speaks of it in a very full, satisfying way, that pleasurable emotion of 
joy he finds in the moment when God turns up to save. Now, another John, John the author, has been talking about this whole dynamic, this whole story, all through his gospel, and we've been reading that here at the Lakes over the last number of weeks. In verse 31, John the author starts speaking, and he speaks in a way where he continues to talk about two realms. There's a realm in heaven and a realm in earth, a realm on earth. If you read from John page number one all the way up to where we are, many times John the author will talk about reality having these two realms. There's a realm in heaven where God exists and where Jesus came from and there's the realm on earth where we all exist where God as Jesus came to. And so you pick that up as he went on to sort of commentate on what he has just told about John the Baptist. He says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. There's one from heaven, Jesus, who comes and talks about God and what's happening in heaven But he comes down and John has said this time and time again throughout his gospel, most of the time, no one accepts his testimony. You're not from God, you're just a man. Whoever, verse 33, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Forget this, this person from God is the one that God gives his own spirit without limit completely and fully. Other people have received God's spirit at times for a season to achieve a task, but this person, it is fully God's spirit without limit. Nothing is restricted, nothing is held back. The father loves the son and has placed everything into his hands. So everything about God, everything that God has, his power, his authority, everything The one who says, I will never give my glory to another, has placed everything into the hands of Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Here again, John, the author, continues to throughout his gospel show of these two realms but talk about it in a way where the realm underneath heaven, earth, is a realm that is covered in God's wrath. The realm in heaven is full of joy but the realm on earth, our world, some of the ways he's described it is it's dark, it's full of sin and the rejection of God. It is a world under wrath and that is the whole point of why God needed to come to this earth this world this earth is under God's wrath and judgment and needs to be saved and God wants to save he's that loving husband that bridegroom that wants to come and save now wrath might be a word that we're not familiar with Uh, wrath means God's righteous and just anger 
at the sin against him. So John, the author, will continue continue to talk about the fundamental problem under heaven, on earth, is that humanity reject God, their creator. But as we see, what a wonderful husband God is. He wants to come after this humanity that has rejected him. Now, you and I, hopefully you see that scheme that John, the author, has been talking about, and we get that this world, our existence, is under wrath. We talked at the beginning that a lot of people we know, we may even feel this ourselves, have a joyless experience. This world is broken. It does need fixing. It does need saving. Um, Who's had a Christmas present that has broken already? If you've got kids, your presents, some of them have broken already. There's proof, there's evidence that this world is broken. I stubbed my toe trying to navigate all this gleeful joy on Christmas Day on a chair And that was evidence to me that this world is broken, that joy doesn't last. We also went up to Coffs Harbour, that's where my family are based, and driving through all the fires, terrible fires have burnt through Nabiak to Coffs Harbour, and you can see shacks that have been burnt to the ground. And this is not my Israel Folau moment, because Israel Folau does this equation, you may have heard, he said, the whole reason of the fires is because of this particular sin that apparently Australia has done. No, no, no. But the Bible does tell us that the fact that anything goes wrong and doesn't last is somehow because God has handed our world over to wrath. So we don't have the capacity, neither does Israel Folau, to work out what goes on in God's mind as to exactly why something happens and who gets what. But we are told, like we just read, that this world is a world that is under wrath and needs rescuing. Now, at times like New Year's Eve and day, we, we tend to pretend that our world isn't like this. That's the whole point for New Year's resolutions. Somehow that in this 2020 year, we will gain the joy and the completion that we have been seeking And so we get into lots of different resolutions. Have you made your resolution? Maybe it's to lose weight. Maybe it's to get into the right career that you want. And then once you arrive there or with a certain weight and exercise regime, you will find joy. Well, it's not going to (laughs) happen. Sorry to break that to you. Now, I'm, I'm just like you. I delude myself every year and I engage in resolutions. So I've started a practice of reading the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. And this is one man, he's an old man, who does this exercise where he says, I'm going to pursue everything in life in order to find joy and satisfaction. Let me read some of the things that he comes to. Did someone say, oh no? (laughs) So this old man, after doing lots of hard work to find joy and completion and satisfaction, says this. So, here is the end of the matter. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun, under heaven, was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless. It's actually like trying to chase after the wind. 
It eludes him. I hated all the things that I had worked for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. If you're a grumpy old person, are you feeling like that? And they'll have no control over the fruit of my toil until that I have poured my entire life into. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair. I would translate that grumpiness. My heart turned to grumpiness for all my toilsome labour under the sun. But this old grumpy guy does, in chapter 3, say some interesting things. He says, I have actually seen the burden God has laid on the human race. As this grumpy person in Ecclesiastes tells us of his uh, experiments in trying to find joy, he does conclude that somehow God has made this world burdensome. And the Bible tells us that God's wrath, burden, the fact that things are broken and need to be fixed, is to wake us up, to let us know that this life will let us down. Hopefully we learn that lesson earlier rather than later. But the advantage an older person has is hopefully they've come to terms with that, that this world under heaven, under the sun, will let us down. And so if we are to find joy that we crave and happiness and satisfaction, it has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from above the sun, from heaven. And that is the message of John, John the author, that we will get joy when we recognise that we are saved. That is where you get joy. Um, And we need to learn that. I mean, I would encourage you to do what I'm doing over the next couple of days. Read Ecclesiastes, the whole book, to learn to let go of the illusion that this life will actually give us joy. It will be one big letdown. It heads us on a track to grumpiness and even far worse. So there's the first thing that we've talked about. Joy does exist but it's not found in anything in this world. You might get fleeting moments, but it will dissipate. Joy is found in salvation. Joy is brought to us by Jesus. Joy really is the emotion of recognising that we have been saved. And if you want that joy, like John the Baptist, where he says that joy is mine and is now complete, You need to come to terms with the only salvation in this world is from the Lord Jesus. All right, here's an opportunity for us now to test our emotions. So as you think about 2020, would you say you are mostly joyful or mostly grumpy? Have you become more joyful in your life or more grumpy? You don't have to answer to me. Just think about that inside. It's often said that emotions can't be trusted, but emotions can be trusted. Emotions tell us what we believe. There's a whole lot of research that's been happening in the last couple of decades where we've been exploring, well, what are emotions and where do they come from? And so psychologists and counsellors and even you read into leadership books and business management, everyone's talking about the importance of emotions. 
because emotions tell us what we believe. Have you ever thought about where your emotions come from? We don't kind of switch on or off emotions. They just happen, don't they? They, they float upon you. They come upon you. We're, we might be able to suppress some of the bodily expressions of them, but you feel what you feel. If you're angry, you feel angry, and it just happens. If you feel jealous, you feel jealous, and it just happens. If you feel joyful, it just happens. So where do these emotions come from? Well, as I said, a lot of the, the experts in this field talk about emotions coming from what we believe. So that is, they, they're saying, you believe certain things about a situation. You hold to a story about reality. And from there flows emotions. We have two examples of that in this passage. Because these people are human just like us. They have been made human by God. We said that there's a the two groups of disciples. Remember, they're having rivalry. They're experiencing envy and jealousy. They're sitting there. One group is worried that another group is going to get popularity and kudos. And so for the people that are worried, they're, they're worried about their self-importance. They're worried that, another, that they're in some kind of contest for self-importance and popularity and they want to see the other group shut down. Shut down, at least brought to the same level, maybe even put down lower. They believe in their situation that this contest is going to change their popularity and from that flows the emotion jealousy for them. In contrast, John the Baptist, he has a whole different perspective. He, he believes a whole different thing. And he's not even worried about sort of levels. He's, he wants to see himself become less and Jesus can become more because of the way he sees reality and believes. And from that flows the emotion of joy. So he's not switching it on and off. It's kind of automatic, but it's based on what he believes about the situation. Likewise for the disciple, they aren't switching on and off uh, as though they control their envy or jealousy at that level. But what they believe about the situation is what leads to the emotions that they feel. There's another guy that I've been reading lately. Um, he's a moral philosopher. I don't normally read that kind of stuff, but something got, caught my eye. And Anyway, he's a, he's a Christian moral philosopher and psychologist, and he's done a lot of work in emotions. And he talks about more than just what you believe about a certain situation, but in that, it's what you care and are concerned about, your deep loves, your deep cares and concerns, and how that situation is going to affect your concerns that give rise to different emotions. I'll explain with um, my rabbits. I was one of those people, right, who just did not understand any of you loving animals. How can you love an animal? They're just an animal. I don't care for them. People talk about animals as though they're humans or at least kind of treat them that way. 
I never understood any of that until I had, not literally, but like we had five baby rabbits. So I'm one of those people that thought we had two female rabbits. But mysteriously, and once they grew up, it worked out that things were different. And so we had five baby rabbits. Now, I just suddenly became very concerned for their welfare. So if we, the, the five baby rabbits were born when in winter we had those massive storms. Do you remember? We just had massive, massive storms. Feels like a long time ago with our drought. So I was out there every night in the rain, getting thrashed, opening up the little hutch, checking that the rabbits are okay, and putting mama's fur that she'd pulled out back over. I was literally tucking these little rabbits into bed, checking on them, making sure that they're okay. I was very anxious about what this storm was going to do. And the mother and father, rabbit, were getting upset and turbulent because of the storm. I thought, were they going to kill it? So I suddenly found myself hyper-worried and anxious about these rabbits. I was concerned for the rabbits and the situation that was developing was this weather pattern that could take their lives. The little brown one there, well, we, we moved it onto solids too early and I was having an apple one day and so I just spat out a little bit of apple and gave it to it and it started choking. And I've, it was very stressful. The rabbit had mucus coming everywhere. I've since learned rabbits can't, can't actually cough. So that's, he couldn't cough it out. And I'm going, what do, you, what do we do? And I'm, I'm holding the little fella, and I've got my phone out, and I'm going, OK, Google. <laughs> this is serious, because I'm trying to soothe it. OK, Google, how to save a choking rabbit. <laughs> and it comes back with its computer voice, do the Heimlich manoeuvre. Like, hang in there, little buddy. Okay, Google, how to give a rabbit a Heimlich maneuver. And then I'm trying to quickly watch this YouTube video, actually praying to God, going, oh, please make him hang in here while I watch this video. And then did the Heimlich maneuver. And if you're interested, you apparently just lobbed the bunny forward, and out came the little piece of apple. So here I am, yes. So, little nut brown hair still lives, so that's wonderful. I was very concerned for these rabbits because I was invested in them, and the situations that unfolded dictated what I felt. I didn't turn on anxiousness, but because I had this care and concern for the rabbits, the bunnykins, from there came my anxiousness. And when the little baby nut brown hair spewed up its piece of apple, I felt joy. I did. I felt relief and satisfaction. That's how emotions work. Emotions come from our cares and how we see reality affecting those cares. So this guy that I was talking about, that moral philosopher, his name's Robert Roberts. Robert Roberts. He talks about emotions sort of falling in a very simple scheme into two ways. Um, you have your pleasurable emotions like joy and happiness and gladness that follow from when your concerns 
are satisfied by reality. So when you're worried for your rabbit and you want them to survive and reality works out that they're protected and they're okay, it satisfies you and from there come the pleasurable emotions. Painful emotions are when reality frustrates your concerns. That's where anxiousness and envy and anger and bitterness and even grumpiness flow from. Now, John, the author, wants to shift our perspective to understand that if we seek joy and happiness in anything in this life, then we will be frustrated by it. The reality of this world under God's wrath means it will be frustrated for you and you will more and more feel the painful emotions. And so it's in that way that emotions can really help us gauge where we might be at with God. With the emotions that you feel, what you generally feel and keep repeatedly feeling, they suggest what you value, what you're concerned about, and how you see reality. John the Baptist here saw reality as humanity needs saving from God. And when his greatest concern, himself and God's people to be saved, when that was satisfied in God coming with his promised salvation, he found joy. And it is complete. And that is on offer for you and I. If you are a Christian, um, we too can check out you know, how we're looking at reality by evaluating our emotions. You know, are we just grumpy and frustrated all the time? Well, it may well be that we have set ourselves up in the last year and even for 2020 to try and squeeze out joy from things on earth and we have pursued it and we have got frustrated. You can kill little baby bunnikins by squeezing too hard. My little kale, he, he feels joy and he grabs it and he almost killed the bunny because he's squeezing to try and get joy from this life. You know what I mean? You can squeeze too hard on this life and you will be frustrated. But joy will come when you let go of this life trying to demand of it things that won't come, will not come, and you recognise that we need saving. And we turn to God and we accept the salvation that he has offered us in Jesus on the cross. Seeing, having that as our primary concern, our salvation from God's wrath. And seeing reality shows us that God has come and saved us we will find satisfaction. We will find joy, complete joy. So watch yourself as we lead up to 2020 and see where you might be at. Let your emotions be a bit of a gauge and a compass as to where you might be at with your relationship with God, what perspective you hold. If you're not yet a Christian and you're thinking about it, we ask and urge you to... Use 2020, the start of 2020, as an option to at least explore this. 
Everyone in their outline, in their handout, would have received a little postcard for a series called Life, where we look into life with Jesus. And it will explore all of these things. It will get you thinking about who Jesus is, the reliability of the Bible, what's the point of life, all those things. You you may need more time to think about all that I've just said today. Um, So have a look at that course and the dates are on the back, kicks off in February. We would love to have you here. So let me finish with um, showing you two great passages of God's word about the joy he promises for us um, when we turn to his salvation. This is Isaiah 51. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's the complete joy that God offers us. In Isaiah 52 on the next page, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. That is where joy comes from. It comes from heaven. It comes from heaven. Jesus brings it from God to us. And you can find complete satisfaction. It can even start now on the cusp of 2020. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for watching over us in your great love. Despite our sin and our rejection of you, even today with Jesus coming from heaven, people still reject you. We held out for a long time. In your mercy, Lord, thank you for the people that you will continue to save in 2020. Thank you for our great salvation. We do feel the satisfaction of joy. And we know, Lord, as these promises say, uh, as life goes up and down and we do have little moments of other emotions, that there is a time where joy will totally override. That will be uh, the termination of our journey. Joy with you. Peace with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.